Hello, Whiskey Files, and welcome to another episode of Pot Still Radio. This episode is brought to you by our sponsors, the Irish Whiskey Magazine, the only magazine in the world dedicated to sharing the exciting news, lifestyle, and spirit of Irish whiskey. You can find out more at irishwhiskeymagazine.com and the Tour Glass. A contemporary nosing and tasting glass, a symbol to unify Irish whiskey drinkers across the world. And you can find out more about this beautiful glass at tourglass.ie. Steve Glare Gakdina, Fulgigri on Show A Potstilled Radio, Ismisha Maihu Haley in Agioni, August and you, Tommy and Show in Chuck Jabernet in Valia Clea, Le Nabunator, Glendalock de Sidery, Quivin Okinon, Fulgigri on Show A Quivin. Digwith Maihu, Anawa, So welcome everyone. Uh, as usual, my name is Matt Healy, I'm your host for Potstilled Radio, and I'm delighted to be joined here in a lovely, uh, cozy Victorian Dublin pub. Uh, with the co-founder of Glendalough Distillery, uh, Kevin Keenan. Welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. Uh, thanks for having me. Delighted with your choice of venue. <laughs> well, I mean, they have Glendalough on the bar, so I mean, any, any place that does, I feel like, is only a good choice for you. Um, so we are sitting here in this uh, nice, uh, cozy evening. Um, as I mentioned, we are in a nice a Dublin Victorian pub, so if you hear any bangs, dings in the background, as always, uh, we are recording live, so please, please bear with us. Um, so Kevin, I suppose for the people out there in uh, podcast land that uh, don't know you, uh, why don't you give us a little bit of background about who you are and how you ended up uh, being one of the co-founders of Glendalock? Yeah, okay, Matt. Um, well, back in the day, oh God, seven, eight years ago now, um, five of us got together and started up Glendalock. I used to work in advertising for close on 20 years, I think, um, and I kind of veered into a lot of drinks advertising for the likes of Jameson or um, Tullamore Dew and, and the likes of that. And yeah, eventually we started up our own one and applied our skills to our to our own brand. And yeah, took it from there. And Glendalock was kind of one of the early movers and shakers yeah. in the Irish whiskey industry. How did you guys decide that this would... I mean, you were literally, I think you were one of the, the first kind of craft style uh, distilleries to kind of come on the scene. We were, yeah. How does, how does uh, Five Mates decide when not really anyone else is doing it that this is uh, the time to, to, to jump in? We we had a good name, I think. And I think we built... To start of every brand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we built a decent brand around it. And we had a lovely mix of skill sets. So two of the lads were drinks analysts for stockbrokers. Um, so they kind I of... I love that that's a job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been analyzing drinks for a while, just, you know, freelance. <laughs> but um, so they kind of knew the business end of it and saw where it could go. Myself and Gary were working in an ad agency uh, on the more creative side of where, where Irish whiskey was going. We, we'd been working on on the likes of Jameson for 10 years or so, so we could see it gathering momentum. Um, and then we had Donal, uh, who was on the sales side of Irish Whiskey, so he was he, he had a good knowledge of uh, pounding the pavement and, and making things actually happen. So between the five of us, uh, it was the right mix to get it going. And we were lucky to get friends and family to invest in that idea. So what was like, 
when you show up to your friends and family in the early days with a with it's a business amazing <laughs> with a business plan how was uh how was that early time um i suppose look coming from advertising you're able to sell a good story and honestly we were kind of selling a good story back then but um it's since come true luckily for everybody <laughs> and I, I think one of uh, i suppose still talking about the early days um kind of the maybe the namesake of one of your releases there was a kind of an early uh, famous rugby investor as oh, well oh indeed yeah brian yeah brian brian got involved fairly early on actually. brian o'driscoll for those sorry of course <laughs> just casual first name uh, basis at this yeah, point yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah he got involved fairly early on um he's he's still involved uh, of course I don't know what else to say. Uh, he, he's not doing some Tory time style ads for us, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's, he's still there. Um, so I suppose we're... What, what year were you founded? I think it was 2011. So from from a timeline of 2011 till now, can mm. you take us, take us through kind of some of what, what happened there? Yeah, um, we started off with Putchin, um and I think we caused the... 2013 summer putching trend in cocktails in Dublin for just three months or so then that disappeared luckily we were getting into gin um, <laughs> just in time for that just trend. in time um, we, we were making some interesting gins back then uh, different gin per season um, good fun to make and really interesting gins but very difficult to consistently sell internationally so we had to cop ourselves on and start making a, uh, a a gin that could stay consistent all the time. I'm sure telling someone in August that a summertime gin is just what they want exactly. might be a little bit difficult. Exactly. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm following So through. then we were, yeah, we got big into the gin and the gin actually started really taking off. So we concentrated a lot on that and how we make it and, and the story behind it um, and the ingredients and all that kind of stuff became a huge part of actually of what we're going to talk about now, the pot still. And yeah, we, we've always had our whiskey portfolio and we've started making pot still now. And yeah, hopefully we can make that pot still in the same style as the way we make the gin, which is a taste of the mountains that we come from. It sounds like a, a very cool, cool exploit. So you're kind of trying to go for the kind of local feel, the kind of... I, won't, I, won't, yeah. I wouldn't ha- happen to say terroir, but you're trying to well, within walking distance. I'd say of the... terroir, man. Okay, of course. <laughs> um, I wasn't sure if that marketing term was taken by somebody else. Maybe uh, it is. Maybe <laughs> it is. But um, no, look, with the gin, we're physically making it from bits of Rico. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're trying to do now with this new whiskey release. Yeah. So those bits of Rico happen to be 130 year old oak trees that we're felling. Exactly. To age it in. Um, before before we jump before into we into, into that, um, I do have a couple more questions. Yeah. So in a I suppose a day to day operations for you guys, what what's your what's your kind of role? Or what of, of the five original co founders? What yeah. what do you guys still do to this point? So, so we all have titles on our business cards or whatever, but we're still a bit of a startup mentality, and it's a lot of crossover, and everyone just rolls up the sleeves and gets into it. But I'm creative director, I suppose, and that's where I came from, which was everything on the brand side. So be it the labels or any of that kind of stuff, or the marketing end and what the messaging is. The lovely bespoke bottle. 
which are not cheap. No, no. <laughs> but uh, so I do a lot of that. You know, back in the day, we were crossing over so much that we were doing the distilling ourselves and all that kind of stuff. Rarely taken over that now. And we still have, I know, Donald's pending pavements in the United States. Big time. Uh, Donald's in Chicago now. He spent a few years in Boston. And he's, he's conquered Boston. He's laid waste to Boston. He's in Chicago now. Okay. Uh, and what about the rest of the team? They still, still um, Barry and Brian are, are still there. Yeah, Barry's kind of the MD. Looks after a lot of operations. Uh, Brian's looking after sales. And, of course, Gary is uh, head of marketing. So that kind of ties nicely into my next question was, you guys are kind of, at least in my impression or opinion of the market, you're kind of one of the cooler brands of the oh, market, which is, which is, which is, which is, well, no, that's a very difficult thing to do. <laughs> it's very easy to, to, make, to make a whiskey and, you know, somewhat less easy to sell it, but it's quite difficult to be cool about it. Mm. Um, and I mean, you know, in some ways from a, from a liquid point of view, my favorite whiskey of last year, and people would have seen an article I wrote on Postel.com, that was your 13-year-old Mizanara cask. I, just, oh. I still think that is a mind-blowing whiskey. Um, I'd like to even, tell everyone we didn't pay you to do that. No, you didn't, actually. <laughs> I just thought it was fantastic. Um, but from even you know an activation point of view in Ireland, or even you know I was privy to a lot of the activations across the United States, or that kind of thing, it, it is a lot of kind of you know relevant, kind of cool yeah. activations and touch points for consumers. Uh, well, that, that, that Mizanara, actually, that 13-year-old Mizanara, which is coming to an end soon, unfortunately, um, that really put us on the, on the map globally with whiskey people, let's call them. But uh, as regards being cool or whatever, here's what I think. I think we're into whiskey, we're into interesting whiskey, we want to do different things with it. You know, our motto, it's on the bottle, sand apart. Uh, you're obviously into whiskey therefore I presume you think doing interesting things with whiskey is cool so we'll, we'll take that all day long <laughs> I, I mean I'm even going past that like I mean I see a lot of your gin activations um, are have been quite the rose gin yes exactly was exactly what I was thinking of was your rose gin activations like those are impactful uh, activations across both Europe and the United States I think uh, even even if you're there or glancing at them on, well, uh, online they do seem to be cool. yeah we had a pool party in Miami with the rose gin <laughs> At the same pool that P. Diddy had a party the day before. Okay. <laughs> and the staff said our party was cooler. How's that for cooler? Uh, that's, <laughs> that's certainly uh, that's certainly some story. I've overdosed on the cool now. That's okay. I? That's okay. Um, so from a distillery point of view, I know you have um, some stills in at the moment. Yep. Uh, you have your stills uh, in your uh, starting kind of... It's a new... new um, premises yes uh, from from your from well actually it's the same it's the same premises but we've bought the or rented the premises next next door so we've doubled the size of the distillery we're still trying to get our place built down by Glendalock mm -hmm. just taking a while so we decided in the meantime to double our footprint of where we where we are put in some new stills and just start making a bit more you know okay and have there been many challenges of trying to distill and own buildings in, in the Wicklow mountains? I was, I was talking to the distiller today, Rowdy Rooney, about trying to get the place, place painted, how difficult that was. And obviously he's talking to me about getting stills commissioned, which is infinitely more difficult. But yeah, everything is uphill and against the wind. It takes a bit longer than you think. But 
you know, get there in the end. Okay, fair enough. Um, so I suppose we can probably get down to brass tacks of, mm. of why we are here. I'll get the little bottle so we can at least have an audible thunk on the table as we yeah. put it down. There we go. It's mm. a good thing there's a tin bottom on, on this as well. So we have here in front of us the Glendalough Pot Still Irish Whiskey. Um, this is bottle for anyone interested. Uh, 413, batch number one, cask number two, tree number five. Oh. So there's a lot of information oh. on this bottle. Tree number five is the one I was talking about earlier on. Ooh, off mic. So everyone knows what that was about. <laughs> Why don't you let us know what tree number five was about? Well, we have a 25 year old coming out soon that has been in that tree number five cask. So there might be a little bit of. 25. Old school 25 in there, yeah. Everyone now knows which, which tree to be looking mm-hmm. for. So I suppose um, individually numbered trees, bottle numbers, uh, give us the, the background on, on your new release pot still that's coming out now. Yeah. Um, so I suppose the juice or the liquid itself uh, was contract distilled four years ago or so uh, to our specifications. Uh, and look, we've, we've since started making our own pot still, which will form a bigger part of what's in the bottle as, as time goes by, as it matures, which is why there isn't the word single on the, on the label. So um, it's Glendalough pot still Irish whiskey rather than single pot still Irish whiskey. Exactly. Um, it may end up being single pot still. It is actually currently single, now, yes. It is actually single pot still now. But it will veer into not single pot still, which is probably the first blended pot still we'll ever see in the yeah. <laughs> in the current world of, totally. of Irish whiskey. Um, so, yeah, I, I suppose we got the pot still distilled. We really wanted to do some Irish oak. We got we got talking to uh, a local forester who was a friend of our forager. Uh, just gin, gin, which, which is uh, quite a statement. Uh, yeah, the forester was a friend of the forager, which is a very normal thing for. It. <laughs> I think I might have tripped over it as well. So, um, coincidentally, uh, he had been working with the lads in Middleton and Dargaelic, so he knew the ropes. And yeah, we soon found ourselves out in the woods with Paddy, Paddy Purser, um, scoping trees and, and, and seeing what we could cut which is trickier than you think you have to pick certain trees that are tall enough you know you want two or three staves high stave heights before the first branch they've got to be in right groupings so you want two or three together so you can create clearings um yes we were we were out picking picking trees like we used to be picking botanicals for gin which, which was a nice reflection i suppose and when you're saying you're doing those groupings, how important was it, um, I suppose, to be picking the right trees for the groupings and that kind of thing? Oh, well, very, because they're, they're, they're cut under what they call a continuous coverage system, forest management system, which basically means you don't clear fell a bunch of trees and start making casts. You have to look at the forest as a whole and the health of the forest. These, these trees... You know, when people hear about us cutting down 130-year-old trees, they instantly go to, oh, you're killing the polar bears and all that kind of stuff. But Many polar bears on oak trees. <laughs> <laughs> these trees will eventually fall, and, you know, the, the bullies of the Irish forest, which are beech trees and the likes, will, will grow where they were. And we're, we've gone from fully covered oak forest coverage in Ireland to about point 
0.2% coverage. If we don't cut these trees, they will fall, something else will grow. Now what we're doing is ensuring as we plant new ones in those clearings that for the next hundred and odd years that forest will be healthy, you know. So I suppose it was it wasn't a, a crapshoot of just that tree, that tree, that tree. It was a lot of a lot of work went in with, with your forester to, to Yeah, exactly. So after you you find the ones that are tall enough and straight enough with you know the first branch or the first even bump high enough that you you know you'll get two or three staves from. And um, you then have to look what neighborhood it's in in the forest, basically. So there's a lot of criteria. Um, now, we weren't and aren't experts on that. So luckily we had an expert to hold our hands, yeah. not literally, around the woods. Okay, fair enough. And then imagining there aren't, you know, Want of a different, there aren't mangroves of, of, of oak trees around the, the Wicklow Mountains. No, so there we're, aren't. We're, we're quite underforested, as yeah. far as I understand. So I'm sure that in itself was having a having a forestry manager with you is it was fantastic. Yeah. So the ones that still survive are mostly on old estates, and ours, this batch of, of fourteen trees was cut in the Brabazon estate, which is Lord Meath. Um, be a very old estate back from Henry VIII kind of times and um, they've been managing them for generations and yeah we were lucky enough to, to get onto their land and pick the right trees and we went out with them so we cut in kind of November time when the trees are essentially asleep and the, the water and sap has stopped running so the wood is drier and we plant uh, in around March and we were looking to to cut and then go back with the Brabazons to plant again in March in those clearings. And for every tree, how many are you planting at that point? We plant seven for every tree we cut. Um, the Is reason like Glendalough reference? A little bit, yeah, it's a nice coincidence. <laughs> but uh, the reason being that you don't know how many will actually survive. Take, yeah. You know, there's a lot of seekadeers running around eating uh, leaves and yeah, exactly. acorns and all that. Exactly, vandals. Tears, <laughs> the awful yeah. vandals of the oak forest. <laughs> so I was saying, well, one of the things you're saying is the how important it was to be able to plant and forest properly at that yeah. point. You say beech trees are the ones that are kind of the invasive. Yeah, it could be beech trees or holly trees or whatever. But uh, essentially, this the oak forest coverage in Ireland now is at such a small percentage that they need to be carefully managed so weirdly or counterintuitively by cutting these trees you're helping to manage them okay so you've now cut 14 trees yep. they're on the back of a truck mm -hmm. what happens next so i suppose with with the decline of irish oak back in the day the, the guys who worked it and the facilities that worked it disappeared too so we shipped them to Galicia, uh, northern Spain. There's plenty of sawmills for, for European oak. They quarter sawed them, uh, cut them into stave-sized planks. So they, you know, not staves yet, but planks, and sent them down to friends of ours in in Montilla in the south of Spain that we get our oloroso cans from. From small family-run cooperage, and they they dry. We wet them and dry them for a year. So we wet them to wash the tannins out and we dry them in the sun at the same time. Um, 
and if it's a good summer you'll get them dried and back in the year sorry coopered and back in the year which which we were lucky enough to have so <clears throat> we got them back within a year and got whiskey straight into them and then is the plan one off release or are we kind of continuing on no that? We're, we're, we're we're going to cut 14 trees or whatever we, we can get 20 cubic meters to Spain so whatever that is it could be 15 or 13 trees every year and um, so every year we'll be adding to our collection of Irish oak casks I suppose so by about 50 a year which, which must be a fantastic sentence to say yeah it's great it's great and like the beauty is Irish oak packs in flavour so fast that it's hard to age in virgin oak but what we're doing now is tiring the cast out a little bit so when so you get some new spirit you can have some exactly, full maturation exactly. okay and um, so you said there's uh, 14 trees approximately 50 casks yeah yeah we've got 50 casks out which, which is a good yield you normally get two to three casts out of a tree uh, we had one tree actually we had five casts out of an absolute monster, monster. <laughs> yeah yeah and actually had to be cut in half and put on the truck um, and then so you've got the 50 casts you've, you've brought them back to Ireland what size are the casks? they're 250 litre hogsheads okay um, you say lightly toasted or are we into charring levels at this point? so well we toast them toast them just to work them uh, it's I suppose a nice touch that they're toasted with Irish oak flame so essentially the the debris or the parts yeah, of the tree so you didn't use you'll only use the bottom third for casks the middle third will go to furniture or flooring or whatever and the top third is, is firewood essentially and um, so that's what you use um, and the char level is a kind of medium heavy char they say, call it in, in spain but it's a level three as they would call it in uh, bourbon country and i suppose we, we held off going level four just to try and keep more wood and less char in the mix if you know what i mean okay so you wanted more of that kind of influence of the irish oak rather than verging verging towards uh, we did the same back in the day we just wanted to see what the wood would do okay well that was pretty successful yeah yeah <laughs> it was actually <laughs> so you you've now got 50 casts sitting in in the warehouses mm -hmm. what what's the next Another 50 on the way very soon yeah um, I suppose now it's it's what October. So yeah, so they should be arriving in the next month or so. I hope. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, Are you yeah. looking at the kind of same number of casts? We're going to do the exact same with them, and yeah. um, um, we might pull a few aside of this batch and do some other things with them. Who knows? Okay. So now you fifty casts arrive in the warehouse, completely empty. Yeah. Where did the idea of putting um, pot still into it come from? Was that the plan from the beginning? It, or? Well, yeah, it was because. And the reason being, look, pot still is the most quintessentially Irish style of whiskey. And yeah, it's only right that it goes into Irish oak, I suppose. And there's no more longer explanation than that, really. Okay. So when when you had your pot still distilled, um, had you had this kind of in the back of the head or when you had the opportunity like which which came first the chicken or the egg was it the pot still or the trees or, uh, the pot still came first okay <clears throat> we'd wanted to get into pot still we'd kind of like we know where Irish is moving and we really wanted to get into pot still we all like pot still uh, and we've always kind of done what we liked <laughs> mm -hmm. if you know what I mean 
so we had we had got yeah we had the pot still made and yeah we just in that space of three years we were lucky to have got in touch with that forester with paddy um and the more we talked about it the more we thought the effort of what we were getting into was going to be worth it okay so what age was the paso when it went into the barrels then it was three years old it already done three years in bourbon barrels it was nice pot still that you that, that's quite drinkable as, as it was but we, we wanted to do something extra so then how long did it spend in the irish oak nigh on like within a week or two a year okay now uh we had it in i love this oh, big smirk on your face right now <laughs> we, we had it in about three months or so or four months and like irish oak just packs in flavor so fast that we were getting worried we were like, oh, do we need to take it out do, do, you know do we need to just take it out and bottle it now it's it's changed a lot very quickly irish oak would do that but um look we just kind of thought what we're trying to do is give people a taste of irish oak so look leave it in there see what happens no matter what happens at least we can taste what it's like and everyone who wants to taste what it's like we can taste what it's like if they don't like it you know it was how many bottles did i say <laughs> just, a, just a few bottles just a few bottles looking at this now you did say that it's it's currently the liquid in it that's a single pot still but it, yeah. it says um just pot still irish whiskey on the label. so is the plan you know off mic you told me what the mash bill of this is but perhaps mm. it'd be good to reiterate what what your specs were going into it and so we know what's in the bottle i suppose well, look, the, the spec and the mash bill is the mash bill is two to one unmalted to malted and the spec look th there was lots of uh requests half filling the still and this that be able to get get more copper coverage you know cask the, st the strength of what it would cast at and things like that um, so the idea really was and the spec was a classic pot still classic uh, being uh, versus the technical file let's say okay so still still compliant into the technical file exactly today. so okay. I wouldn't say a, a vintage style let's say but, but what is known as a classic pot still style now so two to one unmalted to malted nothing stranger startling and then get it into irish oak to get more irish taste into it and make it more what we saw as a quintessentially irish whiskey yeah, yeah. and then i suppose with you're saying at the beginning you're saying was contract still to your specifications mm. and as time goes on you're going to yeah. start adding in your own pot yeah. still when it kind of gets gets of age is it going to be a similar mash bill style or yeah, yeah totally so we, we had specified that mash bill and as much of the other levers you can pull i suppose that we could we could uh reproduce in our own stills okay so it will in time become more of a blend and who knows if we can make enough it will go back to being single malt or single pot still. exactly so become as you said earlier probably ireland's first ever in modern times blended yeah, pot still. so look we're playing around with some things like organic wicklow barley obviously the trees mm -hmm. are, are local and the water is local we're looking at wild yeast from the mountains in wicklow and stuff like that and look it's just ideas and experiments that we're doing now but when 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 you get down to it it's like pre-industrial revolution whiskey 
So it's whiskey from walking distance. And that was, a, I suppose, a clever idea to keep the single. It was funny because when you, you showed me, we... You were wondering where the word single was. I was. Well, we met and you showed me the kind of the mm. archetype of this maybe nine months ago. Yeah. Um, there was the first thing I, I spotted was there was no um, no single on the bottom. It's a shocker. It, it, <laughs> it's funny how such one word just, yeah. just catches the eye so quickly. We didn't have enough room on the label, so it's quite wide. <laughs> they charge you per letter, did they? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I suppose um, new distillery then. Mm. Um, tell us a little bit about the stills, the kind of setup, how how that's looking. Really. So we went back to the lads in Germany, the Holstein boys, who made us uh, relatively small stills. They're only three hundred to fifty liter stills, so they'll be experimental stills for the moment. Um, as you might know, and we 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 often talk about. We're trying to build our new place down nearer to Glendalough. We have eight acres of woods down there. So we didn't want to buy big old massive stills that we couldn't move or we, you know. Um, so we're still moving fast and traveling light on, on our whiskey stills. So yeah, they're, they're gorgeous little Holsteins. There's two of them. So although we're still triple distilling, so we pass it through twice. Brew kit from another distillery, which is great. That's always uh, helpful, isn't it? Yeah, there's a few of them floating around at the moment. And yeah, look, it was difficult. It took us nearly a year to set them up. We're still in the middle of getting them properly registered and all that kind of stuff, but we're having a play. And yeah, we want to get these casks into, into the distillery now and start putting new make into them. See what happens. Okay, so looking back at, I suppose, our pot still here then, um, one of the things you mentioned to me before we, we sat down with the microphone was uh, something that, as a person working in the whiskey industry, made me almost pull my hair out. Um, you have 14 trees and you mm. bottled all 14 for both oh. 700 and 750 ml versions, meaning US and European yeah. versions of the same trees, which is just terrifyingly oh. complicated. Yeah. Um, so, why don't you tell us about that? Luckily, that's not really my headache, it's kind of Barry's headache and the bottler's headache. Poor, poor guys. But yeah, what we wanted to do, like I said, there's 14 tr- trees, there's between two and five casts from each tree. But what we wanted to do, half of the stock will go across the pond to North America, uh, and we wanted to give people a chance on both sides of that pond uh, to get tree 1 to 14 if they wanted. So, as well as numbering the tree, chopping it up and numbering the numbers or numbering the, the bits of tree numbering the casks etc etc we ended up having to bottle 50 percent of each tree in 750. send half of each tree across the atlantic and keep half of each tree it, look it's a nightmare but i think look all of the effort i think is worth it with this release so it proved to be. <laughs> just, I just love that idea that you just split on splitting down casks in the middle. Yeah, um, that is so much work. <laughs> I know. Yeah, As you so said, you didn't ever do it. So. No, I didn't. I had to hear about them doing it though, which was almost as much of a nightmare. Uh, and is that the plan kind of going forward then that the whatever many trees will be kind of that split 50-50? Yeah, we've, we've done it once, so we're going to try and do it again. 
if the number of casts doubles each year, we're going to have a lot more casts. Yeah. And a lot more on the show. At some point, we're going to stop doing that. And just, yeah. Logistical you know, issues. Treating the Irish Oak yeah. like a lot of other kinds of oak. Involved. It's just a normal part of whiskey making, you know. I suppose your Irish Oak, though, mm. isn't exactly what people think of an Irish Oak because I know probably the mo- most famous at the moment of Irish Oak would be Middleton's Dark Ale. Um, yep. And I know that your Oak is not quite the same. Indeed. Right to the front of the class there, Matt. It's uh, good, it's almost like we heard this earlier. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Dark Gaelic was Cecil uh, uh, Oak. Um, this is pajunculate oak. Uh, yeah, I was chatting earlier about the difference. If you're looking at a tree, the only difference really is there's a little stalk that the acorn grows on, and there's no stalk in the leaf, which is the opposite with Cecil oak. Um, Dargalda, I suppose, is the the Irish uh, name for it. For your pajunculate species. For pajunculate oak, yes. Now, they're both native to Ireland. They both grow right across Europe. And the real difference, uh, not between them, because, well, we, we see with your tasting notes, uh, things taste, but the real difference, I think, is the growing season in Ireland and what that does to the size of the cells within the oak, the size of the, the grain, the rings, and how much whiskey can get into the oak. Mm-hmm. Going from there, in, in your opinion, Mm. What did the, the Irish Oak do to this pot still? Well, obviously the backbone bourbon flavour that we're all used to was there. And then what the Irish Oak did to change it, to be honest, it, it started adding ready, leafy, earthy notes to it, I think. And there's, you know, there's the science to back up why that is. But like I just said about the growing season, Irish oak grows for a longer time every year, which will give you a, a wider, more defined rings, I suppose. And the cells, not to get too, here's the sciency, but uh, the cells are so big and the walls, those cells are so thin that more whiskey can get in. There's more lignans in there, there's more forfral uh, parts in it, which will give you these, we, we think it's kind of like a tea brack. You can't put that in the tasting notes because nobody knows what the hell it is. <laughs> but it's bready, leafy earthiness, yeah. you know? Okay. And going forwards now, you're about to put, I suppose, what essentially batch two into the into the wood. Yeah. So that first 50 casts are going to take, they've just been emptied, obviously, uh, into these bottles. And they're going to take more pots still. And the new batch of 50 casts are just about to arrive and they'll take uh, pot still too. And do you have an idea in your head from tasting this? Was this long enough in your mind? Was it, and obviously you were happy with it before you bottled it, but in your mind are you going to start experimenting with shorter and longer maturations? Yeah, or? yeah totally. I don't think shorter. I'd like to experiment with longer. Obviously our collection of casts is, is growing by about 50 a year. And I think we need to siphon off some of those and just start having a play. So might we see some, I mean, we're about to see, I think, uh, another release from you guys coming out in Irish Oak. Uh, yes, you are actually, yeah. So perhaps some more playing around with some... Uh... Yeah, I, honestly, I don't know what we're going to do with them yet. I know what I want to do with them. 
But yeah, look, that, that 25-year-old will be out in about a month or so, maybe less. That's been in a very short time. But I don't think that those aren't the kind of experiments we want to do. We want to get some new make and some young pots still, and who knows what, in there and start seeing what Irish oak can do brings to the table. Yeah, yeah. So you just mentioned, I mean, 25-year-olds in, mm, uh, in passing. In passing, exactly. <laughs> can I can I pry a little bit more into what, what that might look like? Because um, I believe they were being bottles soon, right? Yes, there were bottles in the middle of last week. We all went down like a proper craft distillery to bottlers and by actual human hand stuck on things and put on corks and all that. Um, so we had a 20, uh, we had a 25 and a 17. I'll take them individually, obviously. 25 was uh, 15 years in, in bourbon, 10 years in Oloroso. And look, we wanted to add our stamp to it. We wanted to wake it up with a bit of a kick. And uh, we put that into, we put that 25 into Irish Oak for three or four months. And yeah, look, it turned out lovely. You actually taste the casks in order of, of what they went in at. And then the 17, it's kind of the grown-up version of our 13. Well, I like it. The, the 13 had just under a year of Mizanara. This has over a couple, over two years. And what the difference is, that 13 got very chocolatey and smooth and milk chocolatey, let's say. This 17 now has much more of that incensey sandalwoody Mizanara characteristic that, okay. that you get from exactly the old Japanese ones, yeah. So diving into those as you as you kind of present them, the twenty five. Yeah. So how how long in each cast did you say? So fifteen years in Bourbon, ten in Oloroso, and about four months in our show. That must have been like terrifying. I'm sure that first of all that liquid wasn't cheap in the beginning, and then to uh, yeah. decide at the end of that is have had two very long cast maturations. And you were like, you know what, guys. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's just do it. Yeah, it would have been a lot easier to just chuck it in a bottle and stick a price tag on it, but yeah, we like I said, we wanted to put our stamp on it. Now, I mean, that must have been brave. Virgin oak is like a sponge. Yeah. Uh, so, did you lose much? We took a little bit of a hit there. <laughs> uh, now, it's in it's in our Irish oak, which some of this pot still has sucked back out. So, uh, so we have the flip side effect on onto this. Yeah, so some of those casks. <laughs> What should we say? Three, Cat, five, three. cask, who knows what. Exactly. Uh, has a bit of that 25-year-old in there. And then you're 17, two years in Mizanara. Yeah, um, now it's a slight mixture. They're all single cask, but it's in around two years. Some, some of it's more than that. Can I ask how the Mizanara thing came about? Because as far as I understand, up until very recently, we were the only distillery in Ireland who had released yeah. a Mizanara uh, cask. How did how did the idea come from? Well, I mean, no. Well, how did the idea come from, and how does the the craft distillery from Wicklow become the kind of forerunners in in, in Mizanara? Well, the idea, you know, we, we're always talking about different casts and different woods and what we can do. And like I said, we have stand apart written on the bottom of the bottle, so we're always trying to figure out what can we do a bit different. One of the many many things that Don over in Boston, uh, one of the the many suggestions and off the wall things was was Mizanara and we the more we looked at it we thought oh wonder if we get our hands on some of this and we had just we had just started Japanese distribution and our distributor knew the only independent uh, cooperage in Japan all the rest are owned by the Suntories of the world 
And Which in suddenly, this case is Suntory. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and suddenly I was on a plane to Miyazaki. Uh, it's great getting on planes that, to places you've never heard of before. Exactly. Mm. Uh, so you touched down in, in Miyazaki and... Touched down in Miyazaki, met the oldest cooper in Japan who was making the casks. They're, they're very hard. Look, the tree needs to grow to 200 years old. The cask costs three grand. Uh, if not more. empty or more yeah and they fluctuate like fish of the day but um the the, the, the tree grows 200 years old it twists and turns you'll only get one cask out of a tree Mizanara actually means water oak so the water sorry the oak is wet it takes three years to dry them you'll test a bourbon cask in a few minutes if you want to these take months to test they're brittle whatever the, there's not very much missionary left, so it's all adds up to expensive, expensive but hard to deal with. Really yeah. interesting taste, you know? and they're kind of famous for their uh, their porous leaking. Uh, yeah, and they're kind of sold with that kind of resin or paint. To yes, kind of seal them in. Uh, you know your stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's called kikibuchu or something. Okay. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but uh, it's like it's it's an organic kind of rubbery paint. And literally, you have to watch those things every week and touch it up every week. As I was going to say, two years in Mizanara for seventeen-year-old whiskey. It will leak. Most casts will leak through joins or yeah. to the head or whatever. Um, these will leak right through the wood. And Just the, out. Yeah, exactly. Straight out through the stave. So that that took sweats out through it almost. So somebody's job was very important. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in that two-year period, talk to those things, hug them, paint them. So if we're uh, if we're looking for uh, Glendalough pot mm. still going forward, yeah. Um, what kind of uh, what are we looking at release dates? Who has it? Uh, who will be finding it in their local stores? Today is Monday the fourteenth. Don't worry, it's not going to be it? live. It, it, I mean, it, it is oh, Monday sorry. the thirteenth, but 13th, it's fine. There you go. It's fine. People are going to listen back to this. Um, and <clears throat> Wednesday, it's launching in Celtic Whiskey Store. So this this week, sixteenth of uh, of October. Exactly. Um, They'll have an exclusive on it. They have an exclusive up until Whiskey Live. Okay. So you can buy it in their shop or on their website. Uh, recommended retail, fifty five quid. Okay. And then after the launch at Whiskey Live, mm. which markets are we going to be seeing this in? Well, look, I'm not in sales, but I know uh, the Americans are getting a good bit of it, and Canada, and um, Germany's definitely got it. Our, our main markets will have it okay. before Christmas, and it'll be everywhere. We're in about forty-two markets. It'll be in all of those before Paddy's Day, that's for sure. That's a that's a pretty pretty good uh, stamp to put on on something of confidence right there. And then in terms of the seventeen and twenty-five, we have kind of releases or uh, uh, recommended price points at this point, or is that a little bit further down the road? Um, no, we are. We're looking at releases in the next. We could release it this week, but I want to give this some breathing space. <laughs> that so uh, that might be good. All right. We, we release it in the next two to three weeks. I think airport. The airport in Dublin has an exclusive for for maybe up until Whiskey Live as well. But definitely before Christmas, it'll be wherever you want to get it. Okay, um, and that'll be for the seventeen and twenty-five. Yeah, they'll be on allocation now. There's only nineteen hundred bottles of that twenty-five. Okay, and half of them are seven fifties. Actually, it's eighteen hundred bottles. Yeah, exactly. Half of them are 750s. And with the Mizanara 17, we do 6,000 bottles a year. And again, half of those are 750s. So once you start dividing it down, there, there'll be small numbers of the 25 in Ireland. 
um, and slightly larger numbers of the 17 in Ireland. And both available within probably two to three weeks of now. And do you have a recommended price points or are they to, to be? I think, yeah, they're, they're to be decided, but I think the Mizanar is about 250 and I think the uh, 25 will be about 450. Now, I'm not sure it's not my area of, of, of the business. So I might get you to chop this out later. That's fine. Well, I'll totally. They could be yeah. correct. <laughs> and either way, we can just have a little addendum at the end. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to ask you, uh, I suppose, uh, three questions before mm. kind of coming to a nice little end here. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions just before we get towards the end of this interview. Um, the first I'm going to give you, so you can stew on it for a little bit, uh, being, I suppose, where do you see Irish whiskey going in maybe the next five, ten years, just in your own head? Uh, but hold on to that one. Because the next, I suppose, the one I want you to ask, answer first and foremost is of past and present landlocks. Yeah. I suppose, what is your favorite and why? And then after that one, completely disregarding Glendalock, if you can't pick a Glendalock whiskey, what is an Irish whiskey that you really enjoy kind of just sitting okay. down, down to? So Glendalock first, I think, would be an easy one. Okay. Oh, okay. Look. We did a 10-year-old for only the airport. We only did one cask. Was it the porter, black, yes. porter cask? Yes. It, it was our test batch of porter cask. And we ended up using a 7-year-old. Uh, I have one bottle of that left. I think it, there might be two or maybe three in the world. I don't know. <laughs> I'm waiting for a special occasion to drink that. That was just fucking amazing. Sorry about the language. It's okay. um, that whiskey is funny enough when I left Ireland to move to the United States mm, when I went through American customs yeah, the guys in there saw me like, and that was that was my so end, that was my welcome to the United States <laughs> really? that was fantastic nice. <laughs> if you go back on my Instagram you'll see that picture with nice oh, hair lingus playing in the background do a bit of stalking but to be honest look that was really special but the 13 really for me is when I have a chance I'll get it um, my favourite release to be honest and I'm not just saying that it's this one because if of what no, the Irish no, Oak I was going to say no if you are holding the pot still it's, I'm, a, it's an audio, audio medium <laughs> oh sorry sorry yes <laughs> no yeah, one else yeah. can see the bottle that's okay um, yeah look I just think yes Mizanar was interesting maybe it's a bit of patriotism or something like that but I think the Irish oak is as interesting as what Mizanara does mm-hmm. and has the added plus of being a taste of the mountains where we come from. You know? Yeah. Okay. And then if we're to jump outside of Glendalock, mm. what's, uh, you know, if you're walking into the house or you're walking into a bar and you just go, one whiskey you just love to have in the glass, um, something you, you just, doesn't have to inspire Glendalock, yeah. just something you like. Look, I really like Napogue. I think... They've never released anything that isn't just lovely. Like I'll drink in that boat twelve all day long. Well, Huge fan not all day long. Drink yeah. sensibly. Um, <laughs> Go to work occasionally. Who knows? Yeah, and I, you know, I love the sixteen twenty one and all that. But I, as a go to, if Saint Kevin isn't sitting up there on the shelf, I'll grab my boat. I'm I'm very okay with that. Napoke fourteen is one of my favorite whiskey gone uh, they've had some great releases this year as well but mm. of course this is not a, a podcast about Napoleon indeed um, so to answer that final question that I'll let you stew on a little bit where do you in your head see Irish whiskey going in the next kind of 5-10 years to be honest I don't need to think about that I, I see it going right there pot and, still. That, and that's why we've done it uh, pot still 
getting as much Irish into Irish whiskey as possible. So pot still, you know, pot still is going to do, or is doing, what single malt did for Scotch, pot still is doing for Irish. Um, you know, that's no secret. I don't have some sort of crazy insight into, into things. That's what's happening. And I think the more of an ownable Irishness that you can put into your whiskey, and even back to that fancy terroir word, the, the closer you can get it to yourself uh, with your own ingredients, and the closer we can get it to the distillery, the better. Um, so I see, yeah, I see Irish whiskey getting, I see pot still growing to be a much bigger part of, of the Irish whiskey market. And the more interesting things we can do with it, the better. Look, there are, there are all sorts of things that haven't been tried with, with Irish whiskey and with pot still, obviously. Um, pot still has been a very, and treated very reverently, let's say, I think, so far. I'd like to see a bit of irreverence there. Toss things up, it around. You know? Exactly. So if we're going to finish up now, um, if we were to find uh, Glendalock online, you have a website? Mm-hmm. Uh, com. And if we were to find you on uh, Facebook or Instagram, I presume we're looking at at Glendalock Distillery? Yeah, I think on, on Twitter it's at Glendalock Dist and the other two are for Tim yeah yeah Tim. yeah totally <laughs> well I would say this is a great moment to say uh, thank you very much and I very much appreciate you spending your time with us today Matt, thanks for having me best of luck for lunch thanks for you too